Perfection. I'm Moses. Okay. <laughs> I guess we have an established order by now. I'm Ted. Yeah. And uh, we're joined by... Alphabetical. <laughs> yeah. Wh- whoops. Not on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> we are joined this week by my wonderful husband, Brendan, who... What? <laughs> He's also the man behind all the art for this show, which is great. And he's here because... The theme for this week is the ends of invention. I'm going to throw that over to Ted to explain what that means. Uh, um, So this week we're looking at two works or bodies of works that um, deal with uh, basically limitless technological advance um, and take them in very different directions, both politically and cosmologically. Uh, we're looking at the Culture series by Ian M. Banks, and The Ends of Invention is the name of a uh, culture ship in that series. And then we're also looking at the um, trilogy Remembrance of Earth Past, I believe it is, uh, by Liu Sishin. Uh, starts with the Three Body Problem, followed by the Dark Forest, and whatever the third one is. Yeah, Death's End. Death's End, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, maybe we'll throw in who knows what else will come up. Anything else that's like yeah. a huge galaxy spanning civilization is fair game. Perfect. So, um, Ted, what was your thinking behind the music this week? Um, so, we, uh, the, the theory body problem uh, starts, its narrative starts in the culture of evolution. Um, so we'll probably have a little bit of, uh, of Taoist model opera, um, yeah. um, followed by some like contemporary experimental electronic, um, stuff from, from China and I don't know, just, you know, spacey technology stuff <laughs> after that. <laughs> Yeah, I threw in a request for Laurie Anderson, which may or may not come up. Who knows? <laughs> I'll try to fit it in. It almost made the show like two weeks ago. So <laughs> Yeah, last time we just talked too much. We couldn't cut all of this incredible conversation. <laughs> uh, wait, Brendan, you should get to say hi. I don't think we heard your voice. Yeah, hello. Thank you for the introduction, Moses. <laughs> <laughs> Or it's a little inside scoop into my marriage. <laughs> before we before we started recording, I asked that the episode not be my husband just trashing me the entire time. <laughs> you can trash Moses instead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm game. You can't touch me. I'm far away. 
and you can't hurt uh, my feelings. <laughs> What's going on? Why can't I hear all the music they said they'd be playing? Oh, that's a very good question, listener. Well, that's because you're listening on a podcasting platform, which means all the music that we're legally allowed to play on the radio has to be edited out. But do not fret if you go to our website, lastrefugepod.com. You'll be able to figure out all the correct ways to listen to all the music that we talk about or if you just don't give a flying fudge about that then keep listening because you get to hear both the sounds of me rambling about nothing and the dulcet sweet tones of focus bird instead cheers So that was some good, good time, good time model opera. Ted, what is model opera? Um, uh, I mean, I believe the term model opera. It was just there were like eight or nine officially um, approved operas um, during that sort of cultural revolution period that were like you know ideologically correct, um, but they're like in. A tradition of sort of Beijing opera that goes back to the early 20th century at least. Um, now you said you found like a 30 disc set or something? <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, <laughs> it's, um, it's a very, yeah. It is a garage sale. <laughs> <laughs> but let's say that, yes. <laughs> right on. So let's, um, let's move into the three-body problem. Um, which Colloquially, so the like official name of the um, trilogy is Remembrance of Earth's Past, but a, a lot of people just refer to it as the three body problem. Which physicist Moses? Yeah. Would you like to explain what that means? Uh, sure. I've been, you know, I've been into the the three body problem for a long time before this book came out. It's, it's pretty cool. <laughs> And uh, it's, a, it's the, the physics of the motion of three gravitational bodies rotating each other. And the reason it's, it's an important thing in physics is that uh, if you have two bodies rotating each other through gravitational pull, that's a, a system of equations you can solve for completely. Newton set it up, good old Newton differential equations. Uh, so given the, the state of you know, two planets, their positions and velocities, uh, you can s solve analytically for their positions and project, you know, predict where they'll be in an arbitrary amount of time in the future. It's a completely solved system. Uh, but then it turns out if you add a third gravitation, third body, uh, so three planets all mutually attracting each other, uh, that system of equations does not have an analytic solution, uh, which means that. Uh, yeah, there's no, it's not an easy system. It's in unpredictable. Uh, in Henri Poincaré studied it and has kind of invented chaos theory based on it. So like winters could last a very long time. Yeah, the way it comes up in the book is that there's a, a, a planet with two suns and they all have 
enough. Uh, yeah, the the their orbits are complicated enough that they don't fall into regular periodic motion forever. There's a period of like regular yearly motion, but then totally crazy chaotic motion where the planet could come arbitrarily close to either of the suns, uh, and it's unpredictable. Is the whole whole deal so? There are stable periods and chaotic periods, and you can't predict how long either of those periods will last or when will they, they will occur, which is a cool uh, feature of chaos theory. But the book does a great job kind of uh, uh, imagining what a society that evolved or, you know, uh, yeah, a species, species evolving under yeah. such conditions would have to, in order to survive, what it would look like. Uh, Isaac Asimov wrote a short story yeah. kind of yeah. about the same idea called Nightfall. Did you guys ever hear that one? That's a great short story and it's about yeah, civilization with what like seven suns and the conceit there is that uh the there's it's not about chaos but it is about uh a world where the gravitational interactions are so complicated that they never really formed a a theory of gravity or a cosmological theory even because this since the suns were always out, they never saw stars. But then once every thousand years, all the suns set. And so uh, this species gets to experience night for the first time. And just seeing that there are other stars, the society, in the realization that there is uh, a universe out there, society completely collapses. <laughs> Great story. Nice. Cool. Well, um... In the three-body problem, it's, it's basically three substitutes for anything above two, right? Yeah, the end body problem is the general case, general catch-all case. And it's really only the two body problem is soluble. Ooh, that might not be true. It probably, of course it's true. <laughs> yeah, because I think, I think in our book there, they have multiple suns and then later they find out they're of multiple planets. They're surviving. They're the only surviving planet of a system that had like 12 mm -hmm. Yeah, mathematically, we live, you know, in our solar system, it has one sun and a bunch of planets. That's more than two bodies. Uh, but since the sun is so much more massive than the rest of the planets, and the planets are far enough apart from each other, it, we, our orbit approximates just us and the sun. But there are small perturbations. It doesn't the moon impact our orbit? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Um, so this was written in the first book of the series was written in 2006. Um, and it's set against the backdrop of China's cultural revolution. Secret military projects send signals into space to establish contact with aliens. An alien civilization on the brink of destruction captures the signal plans to invade Earth. Meanwhile on Earth, different camps start forming, planning to either welcome the superior beings and help them take over a world seen as corrupt or to fight against the invasion. And uh, there's a lot of really cool technology in this book. There is. I have a list of there's it. A, there's the sophons, which are like the, they turn them into ansibles, right? So they can sort of communicate across light years instantly. Uh, yeah, the Trisolarians, who are the aliens who live in this um, three-star system, um, and they're leaving it um, to 
come to Earth and take all our resources. Um, send, they're like 11 dimensional computers that are folded into like a single, the size of a single proton. Uh, yeah. Proton. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and they come to Earth to spy on us and give people hallucinations. Um, the book starts with a series of suicides by like, physicists because they start noticing <laughs> that like the rules of physics are not being followed anymore. Yeah, they suddenly um, become inconsistent. Particles, particle physicists in particular, like they suddenly notice that mm -hmm. the, the basic building blocks like decay times and stuff suddenly start varying. And so there's no hope for forming a coherent. So naturally they, naturally they off themselves. After <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel what else is like for? <laughs> They must be also be there's some kind of psychological torture of these uh, these protons I mean that are inflicting on everyone because they can cause visual hallucinations in people. Well, the, so the proton ar arrives on Earth and then envelops Earth. Yeah, it unfolds into a, like this manifold. That's pretty, you know, pretty yeah. cool. Magic, yeah, I think magic later technology. Later on in the series, they get sort of. Yeah. <laughs> Get a little bit. Uh, they get personalized. There's a character called Sophon, I think. Oh really? I believe so. Oh yeah, they so send some more than, or more or less, androids. Yeah, she's pretty cool. <laughs> she like, she's got a sword and takes people down. Yeah. I think I might be getting. You guys ever get sci-fi mixed up? <laughs> <laughs> no, you're you're thinking of the right one. I'm pretty sure. Um, uh, but yeah, the I mean the whole series, it. Um, the answer to a lot of questions about what if are just extra dimensions. Um, yeah, <laughs> sure. But there's a lot of really good what ifs. Like yeah. just the like, you guys got 450 years to do whatever you want to, to, uh, to stop this invasion. Mm -hmm. Which, you know, if I hear that, then people react really differently because I'm not going to be here in 450 years. All my kids take care of it. <laughs> Brett is trying to tell you that he could not care about global climate change. <laughs> oh, you know. So I was reading, and this ties a little bit into the culture, is that uh, the, the Tristolarians are kind of America, and their cultural hegemony is coming towards China, whether China wants it or not. And that's kind of what's going on in the book, where the Tristolarians are coming, and you need to figure out how you're going to deal with them. Mm -hmm. The culture, the culture is a lot of like, yeah. What if U.S. militarism around the world was good? <laughs> and, and did it the right world? Did it the right way? You guys can't. Yeah, that's it. a theme. A lot of the culture <laughs> series books. Yeah, it's all about the culture, like centered specifically on the CIA of the culture, basically. Mm. Yeah, like secret services. The special circumstances. Yeah. Yeah. The. I mean the. The third body problem, uh, it's very much, it basically takes, you know, state, state on state realpolitik to a universal level. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. Whereas the culture imagines, well, it's, it's more like a geopolitical anarchy taken to yeah. a cosmic level. Yeah. Um, yeah, they talk about it as um, utopian anarchy or something. Yeah. yeah. Th that phrase, luxury gay space communism. Is Fully like, automated yeah, luxury gay space communism. There you go. Thank you for that. 
Um, there's some other cool technology that's used in the three-body problem, this whole idea that the trisolarins are able to dehydrate themselves. Um, yeah, go into this stasis mode to survive the impossible climate of a chaos period. Just that game in general was pretty cool. Oh, yeah. Just put on this V-suit, okay. <laughs> but also just the way the game, and they talk about the game, about how it doesn't show anything of what to do. Then the meeting of all the people that like the game, and they're all such dorks. society. I love this game. I enjoyed that, that uh, part of the book where the way we learn about this alien society is, you know, uh, there's this really cool video game that everyone plays. Yeah. Yeah, the, the the secret society on Earth that's set up basically to welcome them here has made an MMO um, <laughs> where you just, you take on this character that's based on like a famous person from human history and uh, basically the world just keeps ending randomly and you have to slowly figure out why it's happening and what the pattern is um, and it it's ultimately revealed that this is a way of like trying to get people to solve the three body problem uh, in the most confusing way possible. <laughs> yes. <laughs> to solve it or to um, make it part of your religion, right? The Trisolarian religion. Because they talk about the two different uh, sects within the, the secret society. There's the Adventists who believe in like the complete destruction of humankind, and then there's the secularists, is that correct? I, maybe not. I forget the names. Redemptionists, that's what it is, yeah. who, who essentially are the ones behind the video game, and they believe that the people from Trisolaris are their lord. really good setup for the second book which I think is The Dark Forest is the best sci-fi book I've read in a long time and you get Luoji in that one which is nice the, the main character of the first one goes away but you get a new guy the cop comes back he's great cop's the best character yeah he's really good detective cool detective I don't know math cop just the extent to which like uh, like interstate war and like realpolitik extending the entire universe is that by the end of the book like civilizations are hiding in like pocket dimensions yep. and like uh, folding themselves down into a lower dimension to um, yeah, the try to survive longer. The weapons and of this these civilizations have against each other just erode the fabric of the universe. Like it's clearly like an ecological yeah. toll on the on everything. <laughs> yeah, and it's not technology, uh, but the it's not really technology centered. But the best part of the Dark Forest is just 
the way humanity goes about their their solution for trying to save save Earth in 450 years is very inventive and exciting to read about. Mm-hmm. So it's a lot of different versions of holding a gun to your head, basically, yeah. Yeah. at a planetary scale. But then the, the you know the ET the 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 terror or what are they to the other guys how they they, 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 they they basically assign four, four people, you know, as much, the UN picks these four people to do whatever the hell they want. They're not they don't have to tell anybody what they're doing because it doesn't matter because the aliens can hear. So those four guys are the wall facers. Or I think there's one more. Mm-hmm. And then the, the, the terrorist organization, or they're not terrorists, the, I guess they're not terrorists, the other guys, the people that are pro Trisolarians, they have these wall breakers, and they have four of those guys whose entire life, whose entire job is to just find out the plan of the, those four guys. And it's pretty good. I am your wall breaker. <laughs> good stuff. I realize that we should probably, for this episode especially, be like, there's some, a lot of spoilers. So don't listen. Yeah, I wasn't, sure. I wasn't sure about the spoilers, but let's let's get real. I think it's fine. Yeah. Um, anything else? I I, re- I we read this really good article about Lucician um, in the New Yorker by uh, I think it's a woman named Yang Fan called Lucician's War of the Worlds and. Um, there's some really great quotes about his thinking and the type of person that he is. Yeah, we're talking about how all this is clearly a, you know, a metaphor for these two world powers, but he, the author, Lucy Sin says, no, 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 it's a sci-fi book. Yeah. <laughs> I made all this stuff up. What are you talking about? <laughs> um, and the interview talks about um, how, you know, he spent decades as like a, an engineer um, in a, factory um and how and how like his perspective is like uh you know a technologist in a uh rapidly industrializing society um where you know one 40 years ago you were largely agricultural and now you have skyscrapers everywhere Mm -hmm. and how and i think he like recognizes that, that a lot of the kind of sense of endless technological possibility comes from that experience um but yeah a lot of the like interesting tensions in the book come from the combination of um technological prometheanism and then just this extremely grim view of the universe um Mm -hmm. where throughout the three books basically anyone who like tries to do something for like good reasons is shown to be a fool um (laughs) any form of kindness is just a huge mistake um that is rapidly punished by the universe yeah Yeah. um but yeah again like the whole all the books are extremely inventive um and like full of scientific ideas even if they aren't all like confirmed hard science um but the the um the whole idea of like science the craze for science fiction writing like that was pushed on the chinese people intentionally is so fascinating um you know it's this way to get people to it was a way to excite people about science essentially um and he even says so for himself i i did not begin writing for the love of literature i did so for the love of science 
an interesting conceit. Yes. The book is cool. It, it's definitely like in, fun to read. I sh we should mention that the translation, at least for the three-body problem, the first book is by a man named Ken Liu, and it's really good. Like it's yeah. a really good translation. Yeah, the book is very fun to read. Yeah, and um, easy to read. And yeah. uh, this guy Ken Liu is a writer on his own terms, and I I just learned something new today. He coined the genre term silk punk. <laughs> we have a guess as to what that is. Silk punk. Silk punk. So it's like silk punk. Silk, silk, not <laughs> silk. <laughs> no more silt. No more silt. It's like steampunk, where you get like a blend of sci-fi and fantasy, but instead of steampunk, where like the technological aesthetic comes from the Victorian area, silk punk draws inspiration from classical East Asian antiquity. Oh, yeah. okay. A lot of large agricultural projects. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, does the first book, I think it does, does that have the thing, the human computer? Or that is the computer yes. made up of yes. a bunch of trisolarians? That was cool. Well, that's where the magical realism seeps in to where like, yeah. yeah that part's inside like, the video game, right? Yeah, they're inside the game and then there's characters like Aristotle and von Neumann. And these are either trisolarian bots or other players of the game who have named themselves like the guy the main guy names himself copernicus and then spouts out some stuff mm -hmm. uh, but yeah the building of the computer was was fun that was fun yeah really. yeah so this this comes out because uh uh trisolarian civilization can't evolve too far because it gets interrupted by these chaotic cycles so uh, how could they arrive at this, our, our notion of a digital computer without inventing electronics? It's pretty much having a being act as a logic gate. And so you just have to have, you know, you have a, a, a million dudes and each one is a transistor more or less, uh, but you could yeah. build up uh, a big logic circuit. Uh, yeah. And it's, it's funny because the first like computers, like, in, the, in that kind of sense, were people. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. uh, the, like during World War One, there were teams of computers and that was just a team of like teenagers or college guys making, uh, uh, you know, ballistics calculations. Yeah. It was a job that they let the ladies do. Event yeah. It was a job that the, a lot of the women did, at least according to. Yeah. Uh, and also I learned this recently <laughs> from 99% uh, uh, Invisible podcasts about weather forecasts that there was a, before, you know, computers, uh, there was a meteorologist who had the idea like, oh, I can write down a set of equations to try to model the weather and it would require many iterations in order to get a forecast out. Uh, and so how many people would it require? And he pretty much calculated that a stadium full of people and he had a whole system for this person, you know, everyone does their calculations and then shift their piece of paper over to their neighbors. So all that has to be synchronized, just like the clock in a computer. Uh, and he calculated like how long it would take to get a 24 hour forecast. Uh, and if you had a stadium full of people, it would take about 24 hours. So it was not feasible. He didn't actually try to do this. But uh, you know, that idea has been around for a long time. It's an important idea in the history of computation. Uh, yeah, it seems like a, it's an, also an analogy to like, you know, historical massive works, like 
how, how do you build um, a pyramid? Well, you just get a whole bunch of people to move uh, stones. And like, how do you build a computer if you don't have electronics? Well, just uh, use a whole bunch of people as logic gates. Well, it's interesting but, that the main, well, I guess, I guess one of the things that they mentioned is that contingent on the user, like coming into the game, changes the like yeah. cultural skin, skin yeah. of the game and so um one of the things that happens is when he logs on as copernicus all the other people are like eastern or sorry western um uh representations of scientific thinkers of some sort yeah but then ultimately they the the king is still like a, a Chinese emperor. Yeah, he's in the east. Yeah, he's in the east, and there's still, and it's one of the reasons why that he has. Oh, I got all these people that we can use because right. we have this <laughs> military that we've already. Right, and they passed. mentioned in the story that Caesar couldn't put these men together. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's a yeah, anachronism going on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's fun. Yeah, part, part of the game that all yeah. the, everyone interacting at once. Yeah, he's most of the. <laughs> most of the book is such like hard sci-fi and that M MMO gives it kind of a weird hallucinatory touch yeah. Yes. Yes. yeah it's, uh, a, it, it is weird it's fun yeah. it's, I mean, it's I, like, when that I, first guy deflates himself you're just like wait what's that <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah until the book explains to you what's behind the whole the game you just have no idea what's going on you're 50% into the book, and you know because you've read the back cover synopsis that there are aliens, and there are no aliens. <laughs> you're just like, what is going on? It's actually also really cool to read a book written in a very different, like, cultural mindset than what we're used to. Um, yeah, and that New Yorker piece, he, the author, after he gets a few drinks in him, talks about how... Uh, yeah, that that whole that's the ideology of the book. How much, uh, sat, how many lives you have to sacrifice for the greater good for it to be worth it, and his tolerance yeah. is pretty high. Yes. That author is so funny in that in that interview where he sits down and he orders two beers, and the interviewer is like, "I'll oh, just one for me," and he's like, "No, no problem. I'll have these two. And then he takes out a bottle of Soco and pours <laughs> <into> his beers. <laughs> yeah, he's also a borderline alcoholic. So. Yeah, <laughs> but a very productive one. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I totally understand. The, Silco in particular, he just went to a liquor store and got whatever was on the shelf and accidentally got the grossest one. Yeah. Like going to a foreign country yeah. and accidentally ordering the grossest alcohol, I totally understand. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, We've all I been there. I've absolutely done it. Ted and uh, I lived in Brazil and many times got the grossest <laughs> alcohol. <laughs> yeah, but that was on purpose. <laughs> um... But yeah, it's a series where pretty much the ends always justify the means. Yeah. Um, because if you don't, like, because the end is always, like, survival, and otherwise you will be utterly destroyed. Um, because <laughs> in game theory universe, like, if you don't yeah, do zero anything sum to survive, universe. you will be destroyed. Yeah. Zero-sum Hobbesian universe. Yeah. It's a dark forest out there. <laughs> yeah. When you read that article and she's like, the interviewer's asking him about all these, you know, what in the West, what we would criticize policies from China, like the one child policy or, you know, the internment of the Muslim. Um, mm -hmm. 
I'm going to say this word wrong. Uyghurs? Uyghurs, yeah. Yeah, okay. So, and he's like, yeah, um, we have to do it. This is why. Like, he's essentially reading, like, propaganda statements for for why that they're acceptable policies. Yeah. Which is an interesting aspect. But it, and it, his argument is always not that they're necessarily like a good in and of themselves. It's just like, well, if it wasn't like this, it would be chaos, and exactly. that would be it would yeah. always be worse. And that's yeah. and that's what happens in the books. Like if somebody tries to do something like morally righteous, uh, yeah. yeah, the universe bites them in the ass. <laughs> yeah, I think he says like democracy could never work in China because it would be chaos. That's like his, um... That's a direct quote from the author. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so, and that, but like, he's so like inventive and curious about the science behind things. You're like, wow, the universe is so like weird and amazing. And then it's like, oh, also it's awful and there's no hope for anything. <laughs> like it's, it's the most hopeless universe I've ever seen in a work of fiction. Yeah. And like, literally at the end of the trilogy, the only like a little sliver of hope is like, Maybe if the universe ends and starts again, uh, maybe it'll be better that time. But, uh, I will say that... Sounds about right. <laughs> it's yeah. also one of those, like, for a hard sci-fi novel, it's very accessible. Like, it's good. It's a good book. It's not just, like, some... Like, he is some nerd that just wants to write about science, but it's not just that. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, he does a better job explaining the three-body problem than I did at the top of the show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well and, yeah, all the scientific ideas are grafted onto this big, like, epic, exciting narrative. Yeah. Um, it's so cool when they're, like, experimenting with the proton to make the soap on, yeah. and they're like, oh, this is what happens if it was 1D, and there's these slivers of, like, yeah. string yeah. that falls to there. It's, a, it's just fun to yeah. read that kind of stuff. Yeah. And the characters are so weird. They're so weird. They remind me of, like, Vonnegut-type characters. And, uh, yeah, and, like, in, I don't know if this is only introduced in the second book, but people get, um, cryogenically frozen a lot, yeah. so the main characters will, like, just wake up 400 years in the, in the future, um, so the novel skips around in time a lot, so you get to see a lot of different eras, um, which often have, like, creative little twists, like, the underground tree cities, um, yeah. which are cool. Uh, yeah, and then eventually it goes a little too far and you get to the little, literal end of the universe. <laughs> it's, it's a book that's not afraid of, t you know, taking its premises to the logical conclusion. mentioned uh there's cryogenic freezing and also uh how you know what you can do to save you know how many lives are worth saving uh, a person in the culture there's a a group in the culture that doesn't want to go well, do, in the first book they're, they're fighting these adherents and they don't want it doesn't don't think the adherent war is a good idea 
and they cryogenically freeze themselves until some mathematical formula where like the number of people that are saved works out to, to be more than the number of people that died during the during mm. war. That's like how into it they were. And they put instructions to not wake them until that point has been reached, which, which is the kind of stuff that they, he talks about in the culture a lot, which I, one of the reasons I really dig it. Well, so we're moving into the culture now. Yeah. Right? The, <laughs> so the, the culture is, there's 10 books written by a Scottish writer, Ian M. Banks. Or if you're reading his non-genre writing, he writes under Ian Banks. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Wait, those are, those are the same guy? <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, the stories are set on the culture. It's a utopian post-scarcity space society of humanoids, aliens, and advanced artificial intelligence living in a socialist habitat spread across the Milky Way galaxy. Um, and their first book, Cedar Flewis, was published in 1987, the last one, The Hydrogen Sonata, in 2012, and he actually passed away in 2013 from um, uh, cancer. And he has, is also a very political man, but in a very different way than... Um, yeah, he's like an anarchist, right? He's a socialist. He's a, yeah. Yeah, he's very um, left. So yeah, in the culture, you also have this massive technology. I mean, the people in the culture are, they're sort of governed by slash assisted by these incredibly advanced AIs called mines. Um, they build, you know, ships the size of planets, artificial mm -hmm. planets. Um, yeah, they have a lot of literal world building in the culture. <laughs> like the, the ring worlds and there's one of the books is all about a, a nested world where it's like different planets have different levels. It's pretty great. Yeah, they like tap the underlying energy of the universe directly, yeah. um, like straight from the grid. Um, <laughs> so whereas in the three body problem and in, in culture you have like galactic geopolitics and wars and whatnot, but whereas in the three culture and the three body problem, um, this leads to like a zero-sum universe of basically inescapable conflict in the culture you in the culture like the books are usually focused on people who are involved in like wars or backward planets or espionage of various sorts but most of the people in the within the culture just live like lives of experimental hedonism um yeah there's or, a lot more elbow room in this yeah. galaxy yeah. Or, yeah, people do things to prove, like, ideological points, like the people who um, cryogenically freeze themselves because they don't agree with a war, right. or uh, they build their own environments on artificial planets, or they're constantly, like, gene editing themselves and switching genders back and forth, um, like, getting they, pregnant they, and becoming a man again. <laughs> every culture citizen is gets drug glands implanted into them so they can give themselves a dose of any number of drugs at any time yeah yeah it's, it's a it's a universe of un, unlimited resources it seems i was reading when he first published it in 1987 sci-fi was like kind of dominated by um cyberpunk stuff which has a very like mm -hmm. uh pessimistic view on technology and the way we 
eventually harness it and that there was the, the, the novel and the novels thereafter were like such, like in stark contrast to that idea um, because technology is used for often for good but the thing is is that Ian M. Banks like the novels are complicated politically like sometimes you feel like the culture is really terrible and and that's you know okay to feel that way um, yeah a lot of the protagonists of the books really really don't like hate the culture, the culture. Yeah. yeah yeah the the first book is centered around this person who's originally from or he's from sort of within the culture but he hates them because and fights with the this other species that they're at war with because he thinks like you know they just they're run by unknowable computers they have no real values um they're basically immoral because they don't have any limits and I mean, the book doesn't make you, like, it, the book frames it as though, as though, like, yeah, he has a legitimate point. Um, he's not, like, shown, proven to be wrong. Yeah. He just loses in the end. Yeah. 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 Um, well, because the culture is, is so, you, you can't fight it, essentially, right? It's, it's, it's too big. This, we, yeah. I've only read, like, half of Accession, <laughs> but... The, one of the things that's the most interesting about that book, that's the one with the, um, the, the, ships. the ships where people are yeah. like freezing themselves or they don't, they no longer want to be in society. And Oh yeah. The yeah. sleeper service. But there's, yeah. but there's a weird character who's like an agent of the culture that is like really obsessed with, he's almost like an ethnologist. Right? Yes. Like, and he and wants to like be a different, he wants to be this other, he wants to like, He's like an anthropologist that studies this weird world that he like yeah. now wants to be a part of, but it's, yeah. it's it's not a good world. Like there are these weird. <laughs> yeah, a yeah. lot of a lot of body types in the uh, the culture series. A lot of some people are underground. People some 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 of them are underground. Some have three legs. Some of them are huge. <laughs> yeah, some people give themselves fur. Um. Some people give themselves fur. That one, the person you're talking about, she has like. There's a couple that. They switch, they like switch genders or they switch sexes so that they can both have a baby at the same time. So they can chat. Oh, amazing. <laughs> yeah, it's a good story. Except one of them, like, that's the one on the ship who's like, yeah. I need to pause this pregnancy for four years. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and also the best part of the novels are the AI. I mean, they're yeah, they're, the ships and their names and their, uh, and their personalities. Personality. just the, the robot personalities are great yeah yeah they seem i've only read the first one but they seem pretty inspired by marvin the paranoid android so far <laughs> there's a lot of <laughs> like yeah, oh these humans yeah there's a lot of grumpy robots um, <laughs> which i'm always into interesting because in it he talks about like the hierarchy of the ai like the ones that are are fully like not distinguishable from sentient beings are like, they like look down upon the other AI that they don't, yeah. you know, necessarily. Like there's dumb AI and there's smart AI. Mm -hmm. Right, right. And they have sort of generations of AI, although they're all pretty advanced. But some there's some characters who like, I'm, I'm keeping my flywheel that sticks out of my head. But yeah, in, in, like, Banks writes this universe where the technology is pretty much limitless, but all of them, like, recognize that there are, 
problems with the society and they're not um uh not perfect necessarily and like there's there's an outside to them from which they can be criticized but he's kind of a a dedicated utopian in that he's always asking like well why couldn't why can't things be better um whereas lucis in is like very much things cannot be better and here's why yeah um Absolutely. This is, this is why I like the culture series so much. They're just it's just fun. It's just fun. There's just people doing fun things. Just, <laughs> oh man, that would be cool. That would be cool to do. <laughs> What's your favorite one of the series? Uh I, I I do they all blend together. I like <laughs> I like the hydrogen sonata. I like surface detail. Uh I think there's I think surface detail is the one with the artificial hell storyline, which is really good. Um <laughs> uh, there's also Accession is good. Inversions is my least favorite because it's sort of shown from a perspective of a culture that has no idea they're being they're being uh, manipulated by the culture, so you don't really get any of the culture at all. It's like, hey, where is the where is the unironic Barbarella? That's, that's <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. This the first book considered Phlebas has a lot of you know it has these big culture things, but uh it also just has these big action set pieces pretty much We're like oh now i'm going to this crazy wing world is about to blow up yeah now i'm trapped on an island with this yeah. crazy yeah. cult uh oh, it's very the very like golden well, age of sci-fi 50s yeah. uh bananas adventure stuff I'm fighting under <laughs> this <laughs> giant uh hovercraft yeah that's <laughs> yeah. that's I didn't really like that book, and not because I didn't like the ideas. I was just really bored of the action. Sometimes it's really hard to write good action. And, but sure. I'm I didn't like it, but that doesn't mean other people. <laughs> I, I don't I don't remember I don't remember it as much. I, I just I don't, it wasn't the what I what I got out of the book. Yeah, so, those I parts. Understand that. Yeah. Those those parts kind of dragged for me, but I like the yeah. parts all around it that we've been talking about so far. Yeah. So I'm still gonna finish. Yeah. Plus that game of poker that they're playing, where you <laughs> yeah, can, like Damage. force your emotions on somebody. Yeah, yeah. what's it called again? Damage. Damage. Yeah. <laughs> they're just like we're going to this planet that's about to explode, so we can play this card game. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yep. That was fun. I enjoyed that. That weird island is cool too. I didn't, that was my least favorite part. With the, the, yeah, the, a lot of this book, the, the, this first one, there's just some like gross out stuff. Like, yeah. they, they're make, they force this guy to eat a lot of human excrement. I mean, come on. Brendan yeah. just gets grossed out easily. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we talked about uh, Three Body Problem, you know, probably being influenced by this, the experience of being colonized or um, sort of overwhelmed by uh, like a technologically superior quote-unquote power and uh in culture like a lot of the books are centered around um the culture uh secretly infiltrating these less advanced uh, societies and just manipulating them um in ways that they have no way of um detecting or really doing anything about um which it's sort of some sometimes characters ask whether this is um you know whether this is moral or appropriate but there's really nothing anybody can do about it um mm-hmm. because 
an unknowably advanced AI somewhere decided that this is this yeah. was the move. There's um, isn't there there's there are groups that advance to the singularity in yeah. the series, right? And the culture, you know, the singularity, this idea that you can upload your consciousness into. Um, yeah, yeah, there's also species who have become like pure energy. Um, right. Yeah, Essentially the, the same idea, but that the culture intentionally does not advance to that because they want to always like, yeah. uh, they want the whole universe to be, to be, um, yeah, you can, culture. you can sublime. That's it, yeah. And this is another one of those series of books that you don't have to read in order. No, I think they, there's one character who shows up in a couple of them. Uh, who people like, um, and then I think the Hydrogen Sonata, a revisiting of the, the Deer and War from Consider Flutus. Mm. Not not straight revisiting, but some some of the same characters, and they talk about their experiences from the war. Hydrogen Sonata is good though. It's got a giant like Earth-sized, um, Earth-sized like planet-sized jellyfish that floats through space <laughs> that has right. its own. Ecos has multiple ecosystems inside of it. And one of the characters is like a guy who turned himself into a monkey so he can live inside this jellyfish to study the ecosystem inside this jellyfish. It's awesome. <laughs> yeah, because good. why not? <laughs> yeah, well, it's, you literally can do whatever you want. So, Ted, do you, uh, uh, do you have any songs that sound like living inside a giant jellyfish, you think? Yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. All luck. Uh, it wasn't something I'd considered, but yeah, I'll... <laughs> I'll do some I think you might have sent me one a while ago. I think I asked for a very specific mix several years ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let me see. Oh, yeah. I, I keep on my old playlist, so let's do that. characters are people who've just been doing like doing something for a long time to see how good they can get at it yeah. uh, like player of games uh, the person the culture sends to kind of conquer this society is just someone who's really good at games and like has yeah. played all of them in the galaxy and is just getting bored yes um, this um, so we're not talking about any movies this episode but i did find um people really love the culture and there's a big fandom around it and i i did i did find a, a fan-made seven minute short film that's set uh, in the culture and i watched it today and it's not bad so i'm gonna link to it <laughs> i've watched that it's good yeah it's pretty good it's called something real um 
uh, a culture novel based fan film by hieroglyphic films which it doesn't exist anymore i tried to search for it to try <laughs> to link to it but um you can find the film yeah there's also the bbc radio play which is what's that based on one of the short stories in state of the art see this is where it gets confusing this guy's changing his name <laughs> writing short stories, writing novels, writing novels, making radio plays. Get out. <laughs> Give me an IBSN. What's that? ISBN? IBSN is that condition, irritable book syndrome. I did also want to mention so if you've never heard of the culture, you might have heard of Elon Musk talking about the culture and uh, he tweeted after Ian and Banks's death which I think Ian and Banks would have responded to if he was alive he tweeted that if you must know I am a utopian anarchist of the kind best described by Ian Banks and he's not he's not at all <laughs> in, in no way shape or form does he have any of the same politics or idea. I mean, I don't even think Elon Musk has any ideas about anything. So. There's too, too much blood, blood, uh, diamond money. Yeah. 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 Allegedly. The, the most glorified of all of our government contractors. Yeah. <laughs> but he named two, he named two of his ships. Yeah, he, he adopts the culture naming, ship naming convention, which is which is funny. It's funny. Uh, less funny when Elon Musk does it. <laughs> What's your favorite? So that's one of the cool things. All the ships have weird names, and a lot of them have ch chosen their names because they are. Um, yeah. So do, do, you have, do you have a favorite ship name, Brendan or Ted? Oh, boy. I mean, I've only read four of the books. Um, but I have a list of them in front of me. <laughs> I really like... There's a ship called Sleeper Service, and its whole deal is that he, it's the one carrying that pregnant woman. Yeah. Uh, and its whole deal is that he doesn't have any responsibilities to the culture. It doesn't have any responsibilities to the culture. So it just. It used to be floats. a warship. It used though. to be a warship, yeah. and, but now it's out. It's retired or whatever. It, and it, those ships like can make those choices, right. too. They, they're like, I don't want to participate in this war anymore. So what, what this ship does is like he turns his ship into a dire, like, different bays into different dioramas of famous battles, but he uses for his figures inside the diorama, people who have decided they want to be frozen for a little while. <laughs> Within the culture, all like AIs and robots and ships are recognized as like persons with the same rights as everyone else. Um, and all the ships are sentient basically. Yeah. The, sh the mines, there's lots of different types of AIs, but the ships are sort of the ones that are the, the big, the, the on the top scale, if you will. Also, isn't the culture, the rules and everything set from the culture are from AI, right? From the mind. All the decisions made are the minds. Is that correct? Like humans are kind of just like, they event they created this AI, but they've yeah. kind of like given their life over well, to that's it. <laughs> I mean, I think in some of the books, there's controversy sort of yeah. even within the culture about like how many, how much of the decisions are made by the minds or not. But, right. you know, it's, it's this galaxy spanning civilization. It's not like a government. Yeah. Um, everyone 
yeah, there's no, everyone does whatever they want. Like nobody, you can't really be um, compelled to do anything by someone else in the culture. Um, It's just a, you know, they're just connected by a culture and they spread through having way more technology than everyone else. Yeah. Yeah. I want to bring up. The player of games book had a talk about what the difference is. That's the one where you get a really big introduction into the culture because the sort of opposing planet is like, well, what happens if somebody murders somebody? What were you saying, Moses? Oh, the the function that the minds serve, right? They, they they have these huge brains that live in hyperspace, pretty much, and uh, uh, and yeah, they're they're so intelligent that they have influence over the course of events and all, all in, in the culture because they can. Tr- predict all possible outcomes more or less and they're trying to figure out which ones are most likely and then influence uh events in different ways and certain humans have the ability to do really well at predicting the future as well so some are some of these select humans are uh consulted along with the minds but that in particular reminded me a lot of uh isaac asimov's foundation series because that the whole conceit of that book is that once you have enough tens of thousands of years of data on civilizations, you can make a model, a statistical model that will tell you what the course of events will tend towards. And there are huge computers involved there too. There's a couple of other, there's this, there's those Anne Leckie books, which I forgot the name of them, but they have ships with mines. You guys remember what those were? Those were fairly recently. Oh, is that the, uh, what am I thinking of? Collateral ancillary, damage. Ancillary justice. Ancillary justice. Ancillary, yeah, ancillary sword. You liked that book. I did. I like, there was three of them. There might be more of them, but they have yeah. ship ship mines that the ships are sort of uh, sentient. And in uh, The Moon is a Harsh Mistress, the Heinlein book, that sort of kicks off with a computer on the moon being like, I got this for you guys. Don't worry. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and it, I mean, in a way, the power of the minds sort of starts getting you close again to the th- the world of the three-body problem in a way, because if your civilization is basically controlled by hyper-intelligent computers and that you can't really control or understand, um, then like the course of events are basically out of your hands. Um, the thing is, you can just have a really good time. Uh, yes. <laughs> in, well, in the meantime, a very, a very good time. <laughs> Fully automated luxury gay space communism. Yeah, I don't know where the gay is supposed to be in that because I don't think it was there to start. It's more no, fun. That's more just, fun. That's just memehood. Uh, what are some other space utopias? <laughs> right, Star Trek has a is another. It's supposed to be a post scarcity society. Everyone's got. Star Trek. Replicators. Yeah. Star Trek posits this world where, like, as soon as you figure out faster than light travel, the Vulcans come down and solve all your problems. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, the culture and Star Trek are both kind of like idealized self images of liberal modernity. Like, yeah. Uh, they're both like, yeah, the best that like modernity could possibly be. Right. like projected into the future um but like because they're sort of 
because they're projections of actual historically existing modernity, they end up being kind of these colonizing societies, even mm -hmm. if they like are initially. <laughs> oh, the, the rule that sort of exists that they're always breaking. Yeah, um, that's a rule that cannot actually exist. <laughs> the oh, the prime directive. Yeah, it never works out. No. And yeah, I mean the culture and the federation. You know, officially nobody has to join them, um, but they still end up sort of absorbing everyone slowly over time. Yeah, um, but they make concerted efforts. If they see if they see a civilization that goes against, like very much against the culture's um, viewpoint on things, yeah. they will like they will. I mean, that's that's actually kind of interesting because they'll do the math on whether or not it's worth it to like have a war that a certain amount of people die in or to right. allow a civilization that is like constantly murdering people to continue. Right. Um, which is kind of like a pragmatic approach that you see in um, the three body problem, right? Yep. Yeah, I mean, in, in a way, the culture is a lot more utopian than the Federation and Star Trek, but it's also like way more Machiavellian um, yeah. in its approach to other cultures, small yeah. C cultures. Yeah. Their, their culture is very, they try to be very sneaky. They try to, they try to do things without letting the other people know. Mm -hmm. I, yeah. I, if I remember correctly, even in, in Consider Phoebus, the, like, the culture shows up on this weird cannibal island and is like, here's a ship, you should get on this ship if you want to survive. And if you don't get on this ship, we're going to kill you. <laughs> right? Like, well, the, so, the whole uh, ring is slated for destruction, so there's like... Yeah. Yeah. We're gonna blow this place up, this whole place up. So you should probably evacuate, but we can't right. make we're, you. We're giving you the option to leave. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Again, like nobody. Generally, people aren't um, co coerced to do everything, but they're also made powerless to do anything but what the yeah. culture wants right. in many scenarios. Right. Um, yeah. Very. Very familiar. <laughs> <laughs> you're not. You're not talking about your marriage, are you? Yeah. Oh no. What is that saying? The law, the law in, wisdom, in its wisdom makes makes it illegal right. for the rich man and the poor man alike to sleep under a bridge. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, a tidbit of information: Amazon Studios in 2018 bought the rights to consider Phoebus. Yeah, which I feel like sometimes you have these like huge expansive sci-fi worlds that just feel like they shouldn't be adapted into anything. Do you know what I mean? I like when stuff's adapted. I like scenes. I like. I could it. I could see this the first one in particular with all its you know action action sequences translating pretty alright. Yeah. yeah. Oh I yeah, mean, I saw. It's also, a furry love interest, which is real hot, right? Yeah, <laughs> got to see more human body hair. Amazon also tried to buy the rights to the film adaptation of the three body problem which started filming in like 2015 and has never been completed. That um, never took off but then his short story The Wandering Earth they made a movie of that huge big budget fairly fairly propagandish tone to that one. Yeah I think it's like the second most successful Chinese film of all time. Uh, yeah it's a lot of money. Something like that. Should we know? Should we all just know what the first one is? 
<laughs> yeah. Come on. Um, they know what ours is. <laughs> Are we supposed to know what ours is? Well, no, but the translator, uh, Ken Liu, what was his mm -hmm. name again? Ken, Ken Liu. Liu talks about how, like, one of the problems he had was translating, or not the problems, is that, like, you know, when it, if you're translating something Western into for a Chinese audience, the Chinese gets the Western references. Whereas we are like, what? <laughs> What's going on in China? Uh, yeah. History? Yeah. <laughs> you've been hearing is by the lovely Focus Bird, and if you're interested in hearing all of her music, uh, just go to her Bandcamp. And if somehow you've gotten through this entire podcast and still are wondering why you can't hear all the music we talk about, just check out our website, lastrefugepod.com. Everything is explained there. And thank you for listening. We love you. Bye! Wally, Wally was pretty good, right? <laughs> Wally ends up with all the piggies. Yeah, I mean, that's all of them. Wait, that is, that is actually a good point. <laughs> yeah. they do use this like mass techno yeah. technology to, you know, leave their yeah. failed planet. I mean, it, and it. It's not, the end yeah, game was great. That's, but, yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, it's just use up planets and then keep moving on. Right. Yeah. Basic human needs and to it's take for kids. care of. Yeah. It's very, it's a, you know, it's a bread and circus sort of uh, world. world. Yeah, because aren't they on a ship that's being run by a computer? It's run by a company, like a rich man. Uh, it was yes. like, God. Amazon for your life. Yeah. <laughs> when we were in, was it Ireland? We were floating around, yeah. We were in Ireland and we saw like an ad for in Amazon the in the airport. And it was like, Amazon for your life. Yeah, it was like all the things <laughs> Amazon did, but the tagline was like, for your life. It's like, like Amazon, for your life. But it was just like... out of like a... a just, you know... A bad sci-fi. Off, like, yeah, uh, off-world colony awaits. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, so Wally, there you go. Wally is also... <laughs> so, yeah. fits into yeah. the Anyway, if you have any uh, criticisms or rants, please email us at thelastrefugeoftheincompetent at gmail.com. Gmail is for your life. If you can think of a utopia that we missed. Oh, yeah. Please let us know. If you can think of, like, if a If you have any film. good utopia ideas that we can work on, <laughs> right? Starting now. We need them. Or, like, we looked outside. We need them. 
Yeah. Yeah. Uses the specific technology as like a utopia sort of springboard. Yeah, springboard. Yeah. The only film I can really think of is Zardoz, but that's that's a topic for another episode. Yeah, that's, that, that, that's the film you only ever think about. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that I think that's the rule for our show is that if we ever can't think of anything, instead we just think of Zardoz. <laughs> uh, check out our website, lastrefugepod.com, for some beautiful art by this man sitting next to me and <laughs> speaking. Not speaking right now. That's me. That's Brendan. And um, also, next week, we're going to do some some radical feminist sci-fi. So that'll be fun. Oh, yeah. I'm excited to read Her Land. Yeah. Yeah. What was, what was it? 18... When did that come out? 19-something. It's old. It's cool. What's the um, book that you used to make? The, the, the female, female man. man. Yeah, that... <laughs> Yeah. Do you read, need to read more like, than just the title? Like, I'll can't check it out. I can't live up to that title. I'm in the last chapter. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm making my way through it. Yeah. We'll talk about it next week. So, yeah. Yeah, uh, I think Herland and the Female Man and then some um, Samuel Delaney short stories would be interesting. Thanks for listening, guys. Thanks for having me on the show. Sleep well, everybody. Sweet dreams. Sweet. <laughs> Sweet dreams and competitions. Science fiction.